0: Let me give you a true story. Up until a few years ago, uh, there was always a soldier posted by the side of every outdoor military firing range. You know, the sort of thing where they go and they test their rifles and, and their guns out, outside. Always at the edge, uh, there was always somebody there, a soldier, who was posted there while they tested the guns. One day, mid-90s, one of the captains using the range asked one of the soldiers what he was doing there, why he was stood at the side, because he seemed to be stood to attention at the side. The man replied, well, I've been told to stand here. And the captain said, well, is it for security? Is it for, no, not not been told to watch anything. I just need to stand here. So the captain was intrigued. He started to research into what was going on. And it turns out it wasn't for security. It wasn't for safety. It turns out it was actually for horses, (laughs) believe it or not. So what had happened is uh, a soldier was posted there, and his job was to stop the horses getting spooked by the uh, gunfire and uh, all the explosions going off. The person who was standing there was supposed to be a horse whisperer, basically. But obviously, as time had gone on, people didn't take their horses uh, to the gun range anymore. Uh, They went in cars. But nobody had ever replaced the role. Nobody had ever stopped to think, well, what is this person stood there for? So for generations, soldiers had stood there, dutifully standing there, at fire and not having a clue what they were stood there for, no idea of the purpose of their assignment, and wasting hours for no reason whatsoever. Now that sounds daft, doesn't it, but it, it could be true of life, can't it, if you think about it? Do we ever just feel like we're treading water, like we're just going through the motions? You know, you live to work, but then you spend your life working. It's just one big circle. And the same could be true of churches as well. Not really knowing why they're there. They exist to stay open, but they don't know what they're open for. What's the purpose? So this morning we're going to spend a few moments thinking about purpose, what life is all about, and what church is all about. We're just going to focus on that one verse that I read before, which uh, I've got there. I don't know, I haven't got the page number, but you just have to find it. But uh, it's that 2024, partly because it's a great verse to think about what we're here for, And partly because our address is 20-24 to Beach Hill or Westgate. So I thought that uh, worked very well. But the words here are spoken by a man called Paul. Sometimes called Saint Paul or the Apostle Paul. And he spoke these words to a church in Ephesus in modern day Turkey. As he was leaving to go away for a while. He wanted them to follow his example. So first of all we see in his example the purpose of life. Let me read that verse to you again. But I do not account my life as any value Nor as precious to myself If only I may finish my course And the ministry that I received From the Lord Jesus Do you know what your purpose In life is? Do you know what you're here for? God, uh, So Paul did He speaks of his life as a course Literally a race He knows it's in a race And in a race what you've got to do is run But if life is a race How do you win the race? Because, well, in normal races, it's the first person to finish, isn't it? That doesn't quite track over when you think of life as a race, does it? You know, the first person to die wins. Doesn't quite work, does it? What he means is, though, is that he's got a race before him. He's got a course before him. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows that he's on track. He wants to do the job that God has given him to do. Everything else is by the by. He counts his life as nothing, if only he can do this. So does your life have such a purpose? There's a great sketch in an episode of Monty Python, uh, where there's a football match between Greek philosophers and German philosophers. It sounds very random, and it is very random. But for the first half of the match, they just walk around, pondering the nature of existence, doing what philosophers do, but completely missing the point of the game what if we are like them? Having a very pleasant walk around life, but in truth, we've got a purpose. We're supposed to be playing football. And when we talk to the manager at the end of the match, he's not going to be very happy, is he, if we just walked around the pitch. In the end, of course, in Monty Python, Archimedes cries out, Eureka kicks the ball, and the match gets going. But unfortunately, in life, it's not that simple, is it? Often we can sit around, we can think about things, but we don't know the answer. The union of philosophers in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy get very upset when they hear that the meaning of life has been solved, or will be, because it puts them out of a job. And they've had quite a nice racket sort of thinking through all the big questions of life. But is there an answer, though? Is there just one answer? Is it different for all of us? Well, the Bible's answer is yes and no. There is an overarching purpose for us all. And the answer is not 42, if you've seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But the answer is to honour and enjoy God. To honour and enjoy God. Some fellows back in the 1600s got it passed through Parliament that every child in the country should learn the answer to the question of the meaning of life. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose of mankind? The answer was this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of life. That's the purpose of my life and of your life. Not to be brainless minions or terrified flatterers. You know, God is not King John Un, sort of expecting us to go around terrified. But to enjoy our Creator and to honour Him in all we do. So it's not so much about us, but about Him. And He's given us instructions on how to honour Him in the Bible. It will work out differently in different situations. We're all different, aren't we, in different places. So there's your big answer. So how does that fit with what Paul, who we're talking about here, was called to do? That's our second heading. To testify to the gospel of grace. That's the second part of the verse. If I may finish my course, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is his mission. This is what he's got to do. Now, the word grace is used 156 times in the New Testament. And it's not grace like a ballet dancer. You know, sometimes sort of people who say, oh, you know, God is full of grace, but graceful, you know, sort of dancing around. It's not like Grace Kelly or Gracie Fields, whoever they are. It's my birthday today, I'm only 38, so I've never heard of those people, obviously. But if I leave with nothing else this morning, remember this. This is what grace is. Grace is God's undeserved favour. His free approval. It's a kindness that's not merited in any way. The word grace, I'm I'm a linguist in the background, I was a French teacher uh, before, I like words and things. Our word grace is related to the word gratis, when something is free. Or a gratuity, which is the posh word for a tip. You know, they put it in posh restaurants, no gratuity required, or very big gratuity required. (laughs) But they're not really wages, are they? They're supposed to be something free that you give. It's related to our word grateful, when we're thankful for a gift given or a kindness shown. I have a seven and eight year old, they're up in their their group so I can talk about them. I don't talk about them very often. But when they've been messing around or naughty, not in a very serious way, only if it's something minor, every so often I'll I'll stop them and I'll say, right, you know what you've been doing, you know that you've been naughty. And not sort of knock their heads, yes. You know what that means, don't you? And sort of nod their head and say so, yeah, yeah. And I say, right, we need to get some ice cream. What? <laughs> I do it every sort, not every time. I wouldn't put that as a great tip for parenting. So <laughs> I explain to them that that's what grace is. Grace is getting a kindness that we don't deserve, being treated well when we've done nothing to deserve it. In fact, quite the opposite. And this idea is quite scandalous in some circles. That God's favour is a gift that we can't earn. Because it means that the way to heaven is not about being good, or being religious, or being baptized, or going to church, or giving to charity. Those are all good things, but they don't get us into God's good books. They don't get us into heaven. Jesus gets us into God's good books. Most people think the way to heaven, if it's there, is through performance or through piety. But the Bible says it's through a person, Jesus Christ. And because of his death taking on himself all the things that should have got us into God's bad books, he can offer us entry into God's good books and into heaven. Whether we're Mother Teresa or a murderer, whether we're Gandhi or a gang leader, we all need God's grace through Jesus Christ. And though it may be scandalous, we can begin to see why Paul calls this Evangelion, literally in the original, good news, gospel. That's where we get our word evangelical from, or evangelistic from. What it really means is that God is a God of hope. It means that no one is beyond God's reach, because there is grace for all who will accept it. Whatever we've done, whatever mistakes we've made, whatever we've treated... However we've treated people in the past, however we might have dishonoured him, God offers us grace, undeserved kindness, pardon, forgiveness. Kindness he can legitimately and fairly offer because God came as Jesus Christ to die for the mistakes that we've made, the people that we've hurt, the things we would rather not have done in our life. Jesus took those things and died for them so that we could have a fresh start, a new start with God. And that is what Paul is to testify to. The phrase testify, though, it sounds like a religious word, doesn't it? But it's actually a, it's a legal word. It means to give a witness statement. His job is to go around and tell everyone about the wonderful grace of God. Grace that he's seen and he's witnessed in his own life. The person who wrote this, Paul, had been a proud persecutor of the church. He'd hunted down Christians and had them thrown in prison as heretics. But God had turned his life around and taken him from persecutor to creature, from proud to humble. God had given Paul a fresh start. And God is still doing it. The moment who wrote the first hymn that we sang, Amazing Grace. Do you know what he was before he became a Christian? He wasn't a baker or a teacher or a counsellor. He was a slave trader. He sold people. But God turned his life around and gave him a new start. A new purpose. But he certainly knew what he meant when he wrote the hymn and he put how amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He knew what that meant. He knew he needed God's grace. So that brings us to our last setting. What is our purpose? The purpose of Beach Hill Church. As we start this new chapter, it's good to think about this, isn't it? Well, we exist to spread that message of the gospel of grace. On the front of our building, it says to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and love on others. That is how we honour God and enjoy him. Now, there may be lots of other good things that we can do as a church over the next however many years, or it sounds like they've got me here for the next 30 or 40 (laughs) uh, years, but there's lots of good things that we can do, aren't they? We can be part of the community, and we want to be. We want to be involved in the life of our wonderful little town, But our purpose in practice is the same as Paul's, isn't it? Our big purpose. To testify to the gospel of grace. In word and in deed. Of the God who gives fresh starts. Of the God who does not discriminate but bids us all come through Christ. Whatever our age or gender. Whatever the colour of our skin or our background. Whatever mistakes we've made. All can know God's grace. That's one of the things I love about church, is that you rub shoulders with people who are not like you. You share life with people who are quite different from yourselves. In a world where divisions are increasingly common, it's wonderful, isn't it, to be in an environment where we're united by the grace of God. The grace that treats us all as equals, all of us coming and needing God's grace. Honoring God together, enjoying God together. And as a church, we want to let people know that message of God's amazing grace. We've witnessed it in our own lives, so many of us, seeing our lives turned around by God, finding new purpose for our lives. And we want to hold out that message of a fresh start to the people around us. So over the coming months and years, maybe 30, 40, you know, maybe 105 here, let's pray that. We don't want to end up like that soldier, do we? Just sort of standing here, not knowing our purpose. We want to be holding out the gospel of grace. And so next week we've got our anniversary, but after that we're going to be looking at Mark's gospel. He starts his gospel like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're going to be looking for several weeks at at Jesus' life from Mark's gospel. Mark tells us the gospel of grace by showing us the life of Jesus now we're going to be looking at that as a church family, but it's a wonderful opportunity to invite people along to. To come meet the person who brings this wonderful gospel of grace. So let's not be that soldier stood by clueless as to what he's doing. As individuals and as a church. Let's know our purpose to honour God and to testify to the wonderful gospel of grace. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you that we have a gospel to proclaim. Father, thank you for that good news of a fresh start. Father, thank you that you've done that in so many of our lives. Father, turned our lives around. uh, Even though we didn't deserve it, even though we've done nothing to merit it. Father, thank you for your wonderful grace that comes through Christ. And help us over the next uh, hundred years, Father, for the whole of our lifetime, to hold out that wonderful gospel of grace and to live it in both word and deed and in all that we do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.